This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today on the emdocs.net podcast, we're looking at immune-related adverse events from immune checkpoint inhibitors. There are a variety of new cancer treatments that are available, and immune checkpoint inhibitors are one component of immunotherapy. This encompasses several treatments that enhance, regulate, or supplement the immune system. These therapies can be used in isolation or in combination with chemotherapy and radiation, and immune checkpoint inhibitors have demonstrated a reduction in mortality when they're used in certain types of cancers. As of 2021, the FDA has approved seven different immune checkpoint inhibitors. Now, while these immune checkpoint inhibitors have demonstrated improved patient outcomes, Patients can experience several adverse events, primarily because of T-cell activation and immune system dysregulation. These adverse events usually occur three to six months after initiation of therapy, and they primarily affect organs with high cell turnover. Think about the dermatologic system, the GI system, renal, and then also endocrine. However, you need to keep in mind that any system can be affected at any time after therapy. The risk of adverse event depends on the malignancy, medication, and use of other therapies. Let's get into how these therapies work. T cells have this important role in the immune system that we all learn about. These cells recognize and destroy abnormal cells like cancer. Several cancers actually suppress T cell function through activation of checkpoint signals. These signals normally result in activation of T cells to destroy the abnormal cells. Immune checkpoint inhibitors prevent the suppression signal from malignant cells which allows the T cells to attack the cancer cells. Specific ligands include CTLA-4, PD-1, and then also PD-L1. Because of this disinhibition of the immune system, immune checkpoint inhibitors can result in organ injury, most commonly organs with rapid cell turnover. These are known as immune-related adverse events. These events occur in about 60 to 90% of those on anti-CTLA-4 medications and about 20 to 70% of those on anti-PD-1 or PD-LL1 medications. These adverse events are graded based on the National Cancer Institute scale. Mild is a grade 1, moderate is grade 2, severe is grade 3, and life-threatening is grade 4. Death occurs with grade 5. Most patients will experience a grade 1 or 2 adverse event, with less than 10% experiencing a more severe event. No matter the suspected adverse event, it's best to talk everything over with the patient's oncologist. In most cases, consultation with the organ-specific specialist will be needed as well. Let's start with the dermatologic system. This is affected in about 50% of cases, usually two to three weeks after initiation of therapy. This is often the first system affected. The most common findings are a non-severe rash, something like macular pathway rash, pruritus, and vitiligo. Bullish reactions and severe cutaneous adverse reactions, including SJS, TEN, and DRESS, are more rare. When it comes to grading those non-severe rashes, if the patient has symptoms that don't affect quality of life, that's a grade 1. Symptoms that affect quality of life that require initiation of therapy are grade 2, and anything with failure of therapy or if the patient is unable to manage their symptoms, that's a grade 3 or higher. Bullish diseases are primarily graded by body surface area, and severe cutaneous adverse reactions are also graded by the body surface area affected, mucosal involvement, and then sloughing. We'll have more details for you in the show notes. 
When it comes to therapy, patients with grade 1 or 2 toxicities that aren't severe can typically be treated with topical emollients and steroids. If they have a grade 2 bolus reaction or a grade 2 or 3 severe cutaneous adverse reaction, then these patients will need lower dose systemic steroids and they might need stoppage of their immune checkpoint inhibitor. Patients with a grade 3 or worse reaction will need high dose systemic steroids, they'll need a dermatology consult, and they'll probably need transfer to a burn center. The pulmonary system is next. This is affected in about 19% of patients undergoing immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. The most common adverse event is pneumonitis, and this is also the most common cause of death due to an immune-related adverse event. Patients will present with dyspnea, chest pain, a dry cough, decreased activity tolerance, and hypoxia. Productive cough is uncommon and suggests another cause of symptoms. These symptoms usually begin three months after initiation of therapy. When it comes to grading, if the patient is asymptomatic or they have limited disease, that's grade one. Patients with grade two disease have more severe symptoms and they'll have more involvement of their lungs on your imaging. Patients who have grade three disease are those with severe symptoms. They're hypoxemic and they require oxygen supplementation and hospital admission, or they have involvement of over 50% of their lungs. Grade four is any patient who has a life-threatening complication. The key thing here is make sure you obtain imaging with at least an x-ray and potentially a CT. CT is going to give you a better idea of the pulmonary involvement. The other key here is to evaluate for infection. If patients have a grade 2 severity or higher adverse event that affects the pulmonary system, they'll need empiric antibiotics as well as pulmonology consultation. Patients with grade 2 severity or higher require steroids and probably admission. The GI system is next. Hepatotoxicity and colitis are very common. Colitis includes diarrhea and abdominal pain, while hepatotoxicity involves asymptomatic mild elevations in liver function tests, and severe cases might include jaundice, weakness, and fever. This usually occurs 8 to 12 weeks after beginning therapy. Colitis occurs in up to a third of patients. Chronic diarrhea with steatoteria is one of the most common manifestations, and grading really takes into account the number of stools per day. Evaluation will include an infectious workup, looking at electrolytes, liver function. CT is also important here because it can help you evaluate the severity of the adverse event, as well as any associated complications. For treatment, any patient with grade 2 or over will need steroids. If they have severe colitis, you need to get on board with your surgery specialist and also provide antibiotics. Hepatotoxicity is more rare, occurring in about 7% of patients. Grading takes into account the liver function elevation as well as patient symptoms and the bilirubin. Grade 2 will need steroids, and anything grade 3 or higher will need other immunomodulators. The renal system is affected in about 29% of patients. This includes acute kidney injury, interstitial nephritis, glomerulonephritis, and IgA nephritis. These patients will usually present with hematuria, pyuria, worsening hypertension, or rising serum creatinine levels. Most patients with involvement of the renal system will have symptoms two to three months after starting therapy. Grading is primarily based on the elevation of creatinine and then any other life-threatening complications. Treatment includes avoidance of nephrotoxic agents, stopping that immune checkpoint inhibitor, and potentially using steroids. The endocrine system is affected in just less than 20% of patients. This can include hypophysitis, pituitary gland inflammation, hyper and hypothyroidism, adrenal insufficiency, and diabetes. The neurologic system is affected in less than 10% of patients. 
Most patients, if they experience neurologic issues, will have headaches, maybe sleep disturbances, or psychiatric symptoms. More severe neurologic complications include myasthenia, Guillain-Barre syndrome, aseptic meningitis, and transverse myelitis, but these are much less frequent. Cardiac adverse events are rare, occurring in less than 1% of all patients. This can include myocarditis, pericarditis, coronary artery disease, heart failure, and also arrhythmias. Evaluate these patients with an ECG, electrolytes, troponin, BNP, and also a chest x-ray. Hematologic complications are also rare overall. This can include drug-induced hemolytic anemia, immune thrombocytopenia, lymphopenia, acquired hemophilia, TTP, and also hemolytic uremic syndrome. In all cases, consult the patient's oncologist to assist with your evaluation, management, and disposition. Admit patients with neurologic toxicity, cardiac toxicity, toxicity above grade 2 of any organ system, or if the patient requires initiation of high-dose systemic steroids. Consulting the organ-specific specialist is also a great idea. Outpatient management for grade 1 to 2 toxicities might be reasonable if you can get on board their oncologist, the specialist based on the affected organ system, and assessment of that patient's clinical trend while they're in the ED. You also have to take into account the time from induction of immune checkpoint inhibitor, the duration of symptoms, the stability of symptoms, any comorbidities, the social support, and also the patient's access to care. In summary, immune checkpoint inhibitors are now a mainstay in cancer treatment, and the indications have significantly broadened. These medications are used in a wide range of malignancies as both single medications and as part of combination therapies. Overall, this therapy is typically well-tolerated. However, immune checkpoint inhibitors can cause major toxicities that require their cessation, starting a systemic steroid, and potentially adding other immunosuppressant medications. Each organ system and immune-related adverse event has its own toxicity grading and associated treatment recommendations. If you're suspecting an immune-related adverse event, consult oncology and also the organ-specific specialist. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 